Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. And if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to the book of Acts. We're studying through Acts this fall. And we're in Acts 8 today, so if you can go ahead and find that, that would be a great thing. To our college students, I, w- I want to say this to you uh, this morning. Today we're going to talk about appointment keepers. You know, that's going to be the key to, I'm not saying you're not an appointment keeper. I'm just saying when I was your age, I wasn't the best appointment keeper. Um, but today we're going to talk about how keeping appointments is kind of the secret to success, and God has appointments for all of us. And it's understanding the appointments God has and, and really a desire to, to keep them. Now, tomorrow I have my yearly physical. That's an appointment. And so my wife has been reminding me for like the last three months that I have this appointment. And my secretary has reminded me. And then over the weekend, I get a text from my doctor, who is a friend. I love him. I just, I dread going for my yearly physical. I mean, it's, 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 it's not good, you know. So it's humiliating. And then you can't eat for like eight days prior or something like that. They tell you you're fasting. So I'm hungry and just, anyways. So I have this text reminding me about my appointment tomorrow. And so I have to respond back if I'm going to keep that appointment. And so I found this, that, you know, one of the keys to success is keeping appointments. And that was what I was going to say to you guys. Sometimes college students will say, hey, what's what's the key in college? I say the key is showing up, man. Every single day, the key is showing up, keeping appointments. The folks that do well show up. It's a big part of success. But today, spiritually, what does that really look like for all of us? And we're going to look at an amazing story that I think has a lot of traction for everybody here in, in your life. And I want to say this, God has an appointment for you today, I believe, and for me. The real question is, are we going to keep it? So let's begin in Acts chapter 8. Uh, if you were with us last week, in uh, the beginning of Acts chapter 6, the church uh, now is growing. The book of Acts covers about a 30-year period from the time that Jesus ascends uh, into heaven and the establishment of this first church. And so in Acts chapter 6, the church has some conflict Within There's a little disagreement, so they elect uh, seven men who serve as uh, deacons. And so we're introduced to some of those guys last week. Stephen was one of these guys, and he was a great defender of the faith, preaches the longest sermon uh, in the book of Acts. I had some fun with this last week out at Buchanan. I was preaching out at our Buchanan campus, and I, I just said, you know, people get on to me because I preach a long time. Like, right, people give me a hard time about that. But, you know, the longest message in Acts doesn't come from a preacher. It comes from just a layman. It's a deacon, actually, who preaches the longest message in Acts. So if you guys get up here, you'd probably go longer than me. So be careful about that. But not only does Stephen preach this great message, but Stephen is persecuted for his faith. And ultimately, uh, he's, he's stoned and, 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 and killed. So we experience the, the first martyr in the, in the church. And so that's where we pick up today on the hills of Stephen's murder. And let's see what happens. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. Saul, who would later become the apostle Paul, Uh, is overseeing the murder of Stephen. This is going to be a pretty significant event that we'll unpack in the next weeks. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So what's happening now? Stephen is murdered, and the church is scattered. There are probably 10,000 Christians now in Jerusalem, worshiping there in Jerusalem. But after Stephen's murder, there's a lot of fear because you have this intense persecution. We're going to see that we just read it. Uh, Saul is going into churches, dragging people out. I mean, if that happened here, that would freak us out, wouldn't it? And so the church is persecuted and the church spreads. But I want to say something to you that I think can really anchor your soul. God is sovereign over all things. 
even in the most difficult things in our life. And God is using this as a tool, as a means to spread the gospel outside of Jerusalem to do exactly what he, what he said he was going to do in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the gospel would go from Judea in and around Jerusalem to Samaria and to the outer parts of the world. And we're going to see that happen today in Acts chapter 8, and it's persecution that is a tool that God uses even to do that. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Verse 4. Can you go back and look at that if you have your Bibles open? It's so important. Those that were scattered, meaning those believers in Jerusalem, your ancestors of the faith, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when they're on the run for, for persecution, everywhere they went, they used it as a means to preach the gospel, to tell people the good news and the hope that they could have in Jesus Christ. In a sense, they are keeping their appointments. That's what God has called us to do. The point is that we don't do a whole lot with that. Now, verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Now, let's talk about that in verse 5. This is really important. There was so much persecution uh, in this day. And Jews living in Jerusalem, and at this point, what we're reading in Acts chapter 8, at this point, uh, the church is in Jerusalem. It's contained in the city of Jerusalem. And so now, because of persecution, it's spread out. One of the first places they went was to Samaria, and that was a region that, that Jews didn't want to have anything to do with Samaritans. If you, if you grew up in church, you sort of maybe understood this a little bit, because Samaritans had Jewish roots, but in their previous captivities, they'd kind of acquiesced to some of the other cultures, and so Jews sort of just saw them as sort of second-class citizens, sort of to sell out, so they wouldn't have anything to do with them. So there was this strict dividing wall between Jews who lived in Jerusalem and those who lived in Samaria. They wouldn't have anything to do, but here, here's the thing. Isn't our country divided? Yeah. I mean, if you, unless you were under a rock for the last two weeks, you, you've seen just great division in our country. Can I tell you the only hope for breaking these walls of division that happen in our country and, and everywhere else is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we see the gospel doing in the book of Acts. All these barriers of, of prejudice, of race, of, of gender, all these different things, they just keep dropping because what destroys barriers and dividing walls and prejudice and things that separate us is when we find out something that we all have in common. We all have in common a longing for hope and, and a longing for meaning and a longing for purpose, but the only thing that can bring that is the gospel. And so that's what we're seeing. So here's Philip. He's, a, he's not Philip, the, uh, not one of the apostles. Philip was one of the seven deacons that we were inter introduced to in Acts chapter 6. And Philip goes down to Samaria and he's, he's preaching Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip they saw, and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Now that, that's never happened to me when I preach it. Everybody's paying close attention, but man, that must have felt good. So what's the point? They're so hungry. This group of people living in Samaria were really shut out, and now the gospel's coming to them, and they're hungry, and they're open, and they're just soaking it in. And so I want to set up the story that we're going to look at today. Things are going really well. A revival really breaks out in Samaria. Verse 7, it says, For with shrieks and impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. These are signs. These are glimpses of what it's going to be like when we're completely healed in the kingdom. But God's doing miraculous things there in Samaria. So it's a, it's a movement. It's happening there. 
And it says in verse 8, there was great joy in the city because that's what Jesus brings. It's a step beyond, way beyond happiness, but joy. So we set the stage to say persecution happens in Jerusalem. That causes the church to spread, but that turns out to be a good thing because everywhere they go, they're preaching the gospel and and people are responding to the gospel. And so as we look on down in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, let's see what happens next. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. What? I mean, Philip's at at, at the center of a movement, right? He's at the center of what's happening in Samaria, and people are coming by the thousands to hear the truth of Christ. It's an exciting movement. It would make more sense for him to stay there and be used there. Would, Would that make sense to you? But but God speaks to him. An angel of the Lord speaks to him and says, hey, Phil, I want you to go south to the road that leads to Gaza. Now, Jews didn't like uh, Samaritans, and certainly they didn't like anybody from Gaza because that's where the descendants of the Philistines were. Goliath was a Philistine. So this was kind of a, a forgotten place, and it was a, a shutout place. And so he's got to go there, and he's got to take. There was two ways to get there, and the road that he has to go is like the worst of the two. And so this is, this is not a great assignment. But Philip keeps his appointment. Let me say something. You might want to write this down. We don't have notes for you today, so we're going to give you a day off from filling in the blanks. But there's a couple things that today about keeping our appointments that I think could be pretty helpful that you might want to write down. The first one is this, and we see it in verse 26. We must be the work of God before we can do the work of God. You know, for Philip to go and do and keep this appointment and go do what God asked him to do, that was a byproduct of, first of all, God doing something in him. In other words, you will never do anything great for God until first God does something in and through you. Does that make some sense? And so as evidence of what we're, we're about to see, God using Philip, keeping his appointment in an amazing way, it was a byproduct of really God starting something in Philip's life. And let me say this, I think this is super important today. I think the greatest evidence, the greatest evidence that you're a work of God, that you're born again, is your desire to do the work of God. Can I say that to you again? I think the greatest evidence that you personally are a work of God is your desire to do the work of God. Those things go hand in hand. And Philip is a great picture of this. When God speaks, he responds, even if it doesn't make any sense. And he's going, and he gets a chance to talk about what God has done in his life. I, I want to say this, this. This may seem a little a little strange to you. I'm kind of hung up on this right now. In our, in our spiritual life, we sort of get fascinated by certain things in, in the Christian life at different times. And, and so I'm fascinated by how God uses angels in the New Testament. And just, just hear me out on this. And so it's an angel that speaks to Philip. Do you see it in verse 26? You guys are looking at me like I'm weird, right? It's an angel who speaks to Philip in verse 26 and tells him to go down the desert road down to Gaza. And we're going to see what he's going to do. It's, he's going to have a, an encounter with this Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch. But again, I'm curious, why doesn't the angel just do that? And so here's the thing. We can't speak of what we don't have any experience with very effectively. Now, let, 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 me, let me explain what I mean. Why doesn't the angel go and do it? Because here's the thing with angels. 
They've never experienced what you've experienced. The angels who are, Daniel was talking about who are before the throne of God right now have never experienced God's grace like you have because they have never fallen into sin and been separated from God. So they can't speak about God's grace because they haven't experienced it. Philip could speak about God's grace. Why? Because he had done what? He'd experienced the grace of God. That's why God wants to work through you and I. I mean, haven't you worked or for, for bosses maybe who had never done your job and they're so demanding and they don't understand what you do? Isn't that tough? Some of you are like, yeah, now I'm, I'm in. That's the first thing you've said that I've agreed with. But it's tough to work with somebody who's never, who has no experience with what you're, you're doing. If you're an athlete, have you ever played on a team for a coach who, who never even played your sport? Well, that, that's, that's kind of that's tough, isn't it? And so you, you can't really do the work of God and, and, until first God does a work within you. And so how do I know that God's done a work within me? That's a question because I have a, I have a desire to say yes to the appointments that God has and do the work that God's called me to do. We, we say this a lot with new believers. We say this question. Listen, we say, are you willing to trust Christ as your Savior and Lord? That's a good question, isn't it? To be born again, are you willing to trust Christ as your Savior and Lord? And all of us are, are Christians say, great question, Yes. But here's another part of Christianity that is such a huge part of it. It would be a question framed up like this. Are you willing to go wherever Christ is calling you to do? Go and, and do whatever Christ is calling you to do? And to that, the church is pretty much silent. But this is a part and parcel of being a follower of Jesus Christ and living a sent life. Christianity is, is like being caught up in a, in a cyclone. We're caught up and then we're sent out. You see, that's what God's calling us to do. And that's what he does with Philip. You see, sends him out. Now, let's read on. Now, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. He does that. So he started out. Why did he do that? Because God had done a work within him. On his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, do you understand what you are reading? Now, let me just stop here. There is a lot that just went down. And I, I, I want us to spend a few minutes drilling into this a little bit, all right? Because there's something here. You with me? Philip's going down the road that leads to Gaza, a desert road, deserted road. Have you ever obeyed God and then wondered, God, where are you? God, we took the job and, Lord, we fostered the child. Father, I stepped into this leadership role. Where where, where where are you? It seems lonely and confusing, and I'm not sure where you are. Have you ever been confused and frustrated and wondered, God, where are you? Probably everybody in this room is a follower of Christ. So here's Philip. And as he's traveling down this road, he encounters a strange sight. It's a man from Ethiopia, a man from, from Africa who has traveled some 1,600 miles from modern-day Sudan to Jerusalem. And he's not just any man. He's the treasurer over a region that on the continent of Africa, at the time that this was recorded, went from the Nile all the way south, a huge region. And he is the treasurer. He works for the queen herself. And he has traveled all the way to Jerusalem. Now, he's got power, yeah, he's got money. And you say, well, how do, you, how do you know he's got money? 
Well, for one, he's got a driver. He's in a chariot. You got a driver? I don't. My boys, when they were little, had drivers. It was their mom. You got a driver, you got cash, and he's got a scroll. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. Let me, let me just tell you something. In a first century culture, you didn't go into the temple bookstore and pick up a copy of Isaiah for $5.99 on a bookshelf. You didn't do it. There weren't any printing presses. So he would have had to bought a scroll of Isaiah, which would have been a huge, I'm talking a huge sum of money. And he's reading that. I want to press into the awkwardness that we always skip over with this story. I've been reading this story since I was a little boy in Sunday school. Anybody else? And it says that, that he was a, a eunuch. And we skip over that like it's not there, right? Because it's awkward. But it, everything that is recorded in the Scripture is recorded for a reason. Do you believe that? I do. So what's there? First of all, why was he a eunuch? And if you're not sure what a eunuch is, he was castrated. Well, why would he have been castrated? This is a common practice, a political practice in multiple cultures because they didn't want an employee, so to speak, to have a claim to the throne, meaning all he would have had to do would be impregnate the queen or one of her daughters, and now he's got a claim to the throne. So they didn't want him to have an opportunity to have a claim to the throne. They wanted to be able to trust him around the queen and around others. This sort of took care of that. But here's where it impacts with our story in a more interesting way. As he made his way to Jerusalem, why is he traveling 1,600 miles to Jerusalem? Because he had an appointment. Because he had an appointment. God had prepared him. His life wasn't working. He's got money, he's got power, but he longs for more. God has set eternity in the heart of every man. All of us know there's more. The scripture says it's deep, calls out to deep. There's a longing for more, and he desires to know, is there really more to this life? And so he hears there's a God in Israel, so he makes his way to Jerusalem. And when he goes to Jerusalem, he would have made his way to the temple. And when he's there at the temple, here's what he would have found out. He would have been denied access. Sure, he would have been able to gather in some outer courts. But as the everyday Jew were going in to the temple where sacrifices were made, he's shut out. There would have been a sign on the wall listing the conditions of those who would not be able to enter in. One of those are any defects or those who were mutilated. Their body was mutilated. Here was a man whose body was mutilated through castration. And so as he's coming to have a chance to hear about this God and, and hopefully find some hope and find some answers, he is shut out. And he's not able to enter in. I wonder how many of us here today maybe feel a similar way that because of a mistake that we've made in our, in our past, that we're perhaps shut out. Because of a divorce that occurred in our life in a time that we were exceedingly selfish, then we're shut out, or so we think. Because of an abortion that took place 15 years ago, 
that God could never love me. Because of things that I said to him the last time I saw him that no man should ever say to another man and I never had a chance to go back and make it right, then I'm shut out. And on and on and on it goes. You see, if we're honest, we probably relate more to this man than we thought. So Philip makes his way to the chariot. This is very significant. And he asks him, what are you reading? Isaiah. You understand it? How can I unless somebody explains it to me? Philip says, mind if I take a stab? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, sure, come on up. And he was excited. Let me tell you who wasn't excited. It was probably the historians tell us there were probably six men with poles who were carrying this chariot. They weren't excited about this little discipleship opportunity that's about to happen. Now they got two guys to carry 1,600 miles back, right, to Sudan. Here's what I want to say here. Here's the number one reason. Listen, listen, listen. Here's the number one reason I think most people don't live a sent life. God's at work, and God is orchestrating events with people just like this Ethiopian eunuch. Do you see that? And they're all around you. But we stop because we say, you know what? God could never use me like that because I don't know what to say. Here, here, let, me, let me give you the second thing that I, I would like for you to write down, if, if, if you would, that I think could be helpful about keeping the appointments that God has for you in, in your life. Start with where people are, not with what you know. Could you write that down or just think about it? Start with where people are, not with what you know. Isn't that what Philip does? Philip comes up along the chariot. The Scripture says he's running, right? He's running up. Hey, how are things going? Good. What are you doing? Reading the scroll. And he would have been reading out loud. Philip knew what he was doing. Ask him a question. Do you understand it? No, he just starts exactly where he is. He doesn't start by telling him, Philip, telling him everything that he knows. Everybody is searching. Do you believe that? Can I say that to you again? Everybody is searching regardless of how they look on the outside, regardless of the exterior that they had, because if you just look at this man from the exterior, you think he's got it dialed in, but he is searching. And some of you today, let, let me say this, some of you, you being here today is a part of God's plan. God's working just like he orchestrated this event for this Ethiopian eunuch to interact with Philip, God is orchestrating events. He has set this appointment up for you to be here today. Do you, do you believe that? I believe that. I was meeting with a friend a couple weeks ago, and he was just telling me his story. He said, you know, my wife started coming here to church years ago, and I told her up front, I'm never going there, but you can go. And he said, just one Sunday she asked me if I wanted to go, and he said, I just... I just wanted to be with her on Sunday morning and see her. He said, so I showed up. And God began to speak to me in a profound way. At first he was argumentative. But God radically changed his heart. He said, you know, it was that day, it was an appointment that God orchestrated events and had me there that day for God to, to do something in my life. And maybe that's what's going on with you today. You see? It's a powerful thing. I believe that that is happening. Now, 
Let's read on. If you have your Bible, let's go on back to verse 32. So the eunuch asked him, can you explain it to him? Felix sits down with him. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. I'm starting now. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Let's just stop and go back. Keep your Bibles open. This is powerful. Here's this guy reading out loud, and he says, I have no idea what this guy is talking about. Well, here's what we know. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 is a messianic prophecy. Let me just say something to you. If you're here today and you're a skeptic, we're glad you're here. We always welcome you. I would challenge you to go back and read all of chapter 53 of the prophet Isaiah. And when you read Isaiah chapter 53, it sounds like Isaiah is standing at the foot of the cross. The only problem with that is Isaiah is writing about 900 years before Jesus is born. This is a messianic prophecy. This is an amazing thing. And so th this man is reading. He says, I don't understand. I'm confused. What does this mean? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And Philip starts right there with that very passage right where he is and explains to him. Now, let's look at this passage in detail and see a couple questions that the Ethiopian eunuch might have had. It says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, talking about Christ, the Lamb of God, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In fact, maybe the Ethiopian is struggling by saying, why is the Messiah silent? As he was being falsely accused, why does he keep his mouth shut? Because only guilty people are silent. Doesn't that make sense? If you're being accused of something wrongly, wouldn't it make sense that you would open your mouth? If someone is silent when an accusation comes at them, that's just proof that they're guilty. And so maybe this is the problem that the Ethiopian eunuch is having. Does that make sense? As a lamb before the shearers is silent, why was he silent? And Philip gets a chance to say, here's why he was silent. He was silent to indicate his guilt. What? The Messiah that you're talking to me about is guilty? Yes, he was guilty, but it wasn't his sin. It was yours. He was willing to be silent because he took on your sin and paid for your sin with his perfect life. He gets a chance to explain the truth of the gospel. It's an amazing thing. Now, then look at the rest of this. I think here's an another issue that would have really related to the eunuch. Look at verse 33. In his humiliation, talking about Christ, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? Do you think that related to this Ethiopian eunuch? Because what would, what would his castration have cost him? It would cost him any descendants. In a sense, he can relate to this. Like, I don't have any children. I, I, I'm never going to have the ability to be with my wife and produce a child and for our family to go on. I'll never experience that. And Philip gets a chance to talk to him about what Christ gave up so that we could be now a part of his forever family. Do you see this? He starts right with this very truth and explains the truth of the gospel to a man who thought all his life he was shut out. Here's the third thing I want to say to you, and we see it right from this point, and this is something that I'm super passionate about, and I know you're ready to go, but I really want to say this. 
when you finally are willing to accept that appointment and you're with that person that God's at work, show them what Jesus did, not what they must do. This is what Philip does. He shows the Ethiopian eunuch what Jesus did for him, not what this guy must do. This is what I think we do wrong so very often. When we come face to face with somebody who God's working in their life, somebody who's lost, somebody's an outsider, we immediately start talking about what they need to do. I mean, Philip could have said, hey, dude, do you think how many children back in Jerusalem you could have fed with this chariot you're riding in? I think money's your God. I think you've got a problem. Look at all these false gods you got here on your dashboard here. We need to talk about that. Lost people act like lost people. And, and, and if we are going to keep our appointments, we need to start talking about what Jesus did for them, not what they need to do. And as they understand what Jesus did, what Jesus did on their behalf, it is the grace of Jesus Christ that saves us and it is the grace and the empowering of Jesus Christ that transforms us. Do you believe that? But we don't get a chance to do that because we're talking to people about how they need to change instead of just exposing them to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Doesn't Philip do this in an amazing way? Can I tell you something? Here's what was going on in this story. It's so important today. Please listen to this. People know God. They just don't know how to get to him. And Philip explains that. I want to I go like crazy old school for five minutes. Will you let me do that? I've still got six minutes. I'm going I'm to do what my youth pastor did for me when I was in sixth grade. I'm going to do that for you guys right now. Because, listen, I, I'm just, I'm, to be honest, I'm sick and tired of preaching. I could care less about somebody saying, boy, I really enjoyed that sermon today. Most people aren't being honest anyways, right? I'm watching 15 of you are asleep. I get it. The rest of you are on your phone. The Bible says to be a, to be a doer of the word, not a hearer. Be a doer of the word. And so do you believe God's at work? The same God who was at work orchestrating this event, do you still believe he's doing the same kind of things today? I do. The real question is, are you going to keep your appointment? Are you going to go down that road that he's calling you to go down and interact with that person who feels like they're shut out, who feels like they have no hope? Well, what would I do? Don't tell them what, what, what you know. Tell them what Jesus did. Well, what did he do? Let me, let me just give you this. Five minutes. If you open your Bible to the book of Romans, it's the next book. If you're in Acts, just go one book over. Romans. If you don't have your Bible with you, just write this down on a, on a notepad. I'm going to show you in about four minutes how you can sit down with anybody at Red Robin this afternoon for lunch, at Starbucks in the morning for coffee, in your dorm room with, a, with another student, in the office on break tomorrow, and you can show people what Jesus has done, and all you have to do, you don't, you don't need a, a notebook. Man, I've been to evangelism conferences. You leave with a notebook, and it's like just like 80 pages of stuff. You're like overwhelmed. You, ever, you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? Just show people what Jesus has done. And, and here's, here's where we go. The first thing in Romans, on the first page right there, Romans chapter 1, just write this at the very, very top, Romans 1, 19 through 20. Romans 1, 19 through 20. So all you have to remember is what book of the Bible? Romans. You can find Romans, then it tells you the first book, verse to look at, Romans 1, 19 through 20. And you got the notes, man. This feels good. Like as you're talking to somebody, let me read for you, Jerry. Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, and they're like, whoa, this cat knows his stuff. Feels good, doesn't it? What does Romans 1, 19 through 20 say? Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, having been understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. 
Sometimes as I read this passage with somebody, I just maybe ask it this way. Hey, just look around this room. Does it look like everything that exists in this room happened by accident or happened by design? Help me. What do you think? Design. Well, that just tells us that somewhere in our soul we know there's a God. We just don't know how to get to him. At the bottom of that page, write Romans 3.23. Some of you are like, I've done this when I was a kid. Good. Are you doing anything with it? Romans 3.23. What does it say? It says, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The gospel is bad news before it's good news. We all have been shut out. This is what the Ethiopian eunuch was wrestling with. He knew he was shut out. He just didn't know there was a door for him to get in. And help people see the weight of that. You've sinned. I've sinned. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you understand that today? If you're here today and you never understood this, can I tell you something? Apart from Jesus right now, you are separated from God. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, let me tell you something. Because of your sin, you are separated from God. If the Lord Jesus returned in the next moment, you would spend, listen to me, an eternity separated from him because sin is a separator. Do you understand it? We are shut out. And people, I have to understand that first. Let people read that. At the bottom of 323, write 623. Or excuse me, write 5-8. Sorry, go back. Just erase that. Mark through that. You're marking in your, up your Bible. Romans 5-8. Man, what a mistake. You guys got me all worked up. Romans 5.8, at the bottom of that page. But God, what does it say? But God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, what are we saying? We're not telling people what we know. We're telling people what, we, what Jesus did. Christianity is not about do, it's about done. But while we were still sinners, what did he do? Christ died for us. Has anybody ever told you that? That while you were separated from God, that God loved you so much, they sent his son to rescue you? This is what Philip was getting a chance to sit in that chariot and talk with this man about. Good news, this is why the angel didn't go, because an angel has never experienced the grace of God. Have you experienced the grace of God? Have you been rescued? That wasn't rhetorical. Isn't it good news to know that you have been liberated, that you were dead in your sin, and God loved you enough to die in your place? Tell people that. Tell people that. And then at the bottom of, your, of that page, just Romans 6.23, you're saying, tell me again why you're doing this, dude, because this is like the weirdest thing. It's like I'm back in school because people know there's a God. They just don't know how to get to him. And you don't need to tell them what to do you need, to, you need to start loving your wife. You need to start treating her better. You need to start being a better, better husband. Jesus will, he'll begin to do that. Show, show them what Jesus has done. Why? I don't know what Jesus has done. That's why we're taking five minutes to tell you. Some of you haven't even taken the time to write it down in your Bible. You're going to be at Starbucks tomorrow. I promise this is going to happen or wherever you have coffee. And somebody's going to walk up and say, man, I wish somebody knew how to take me through the truth of the gospel. Maybe just through the book of Romans kind of outline. And you're like, ugh. The old bald man was right. Romans 6.23, next verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I always love to see that. What is my sin? The wage of my sin, I've earned death, but the gift of God. Meaning, I, I can't earn it and I don't deserve it, but God in his grace has given it to me. The gift of God is what? Eternal life in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. What do you do with the gift? I always ask that question. You open it up. Right there tomorrow. Not in a chariot heading to the Sudan, but maybe tomorrow at Chipotle over a rice and chicken bowl that you paid $30 for. 
but you got guacamole, so it's good. You get a chance to do that. Would you be willing to open this gift up? Listen, you thought you were shut out. So did he. You thought that what happened years ago, when you made that decision, that you were shut out, that God could never love you, but he loved you enough to die for you, and he's offering you a gift. This is, the, this is why Stephen was killed. Stephen believed the truth of the gospel, that anyone who'd believe in the Lord Jesus Christ would be saved. He believed that, he taught that, and it took his life. And let me tell you, this is the truth of the gospel. This is what we stand on today. This is what we believe. Anyone who would place their trust in Jesus Christ will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? That's the gospel. Why don't you share it? People don't care what you know. They want you to meet them where they are. They don't want to hear from you what they need to do, but they will be open to hear what Jesus has done. Romans 10, 9 and 10, last thing, just write it at the bottom of that page of Romans 6. Some of you now are at least acting like you're writing. That's good. Can I just ask, I'm not asked this in any of our services. How many somebody sat down with you and just showed you, marked your Bible up like this for you at one time in your life? Anybody ever had somebody do that with you? My grandmother, she passed away several years ago, and I got her Bible. She'd done that as a little girl. She just marked up Romans, all these passages that we're looking at. So anytime, place, she could just open her Bible. All she had to remember is book of Romans. Show people what Jesus has done. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, what does Paul say here? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess faith in this Christ and that you are saved. Completed action that today you can put your faith and trust in him. Believe upon Jesus Christ today. That means trust him completely today and what he's done. And there will be a completed action that you will be born again, that you will come alive spiritually. And some of you are not marking your Bible up. Some of you are like, man, is this true? This is the first time in my life I've ever heard anything like this because the only thing I can relate to that you've said today is I have felt shut out because it could never be good enough. And I never believed that God could love me. Yes, he does. And this is what he's done so you can enter in. You believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ even today. Let's finish this up. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Appointment. I don't know how long Philip hung out with this dude and talked. Obviously, he shared with him a little bit more because this guy understood the essence of the first thing a follower of Jesus Christ does, and that's identify themselves through baptism. Some of you have an appointment that you've never kept. Listen to me. I'm almost done. Some of you have an appointment that you've never kept. The secret to life is keeping the appointments that God has for you. Some of you have never identified yourself as a follower of Christ through baptism because at some reason you don't think it's that important. This dude did. Jesus did. And who are we to deny the first thing that Jesus has asked us to do? Some of you need to keep that appointment. We're going to have folks down here at the end of the service today. Some of you are here and you've placed your trust in Christ, but you've never kept that appointment to go public with your faith through baptism. Keep that appointment today. Let's finish up. And he gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, 
But he, meaning the eunuch, went away rejoicing. Listen to this. I'm waking you up. Here's what church history tells us. I love this. I love this. This man who God was stirring in his life from 1,600 miles away, he comes to Jerusalem and he's on his way back. He has this encounter with Philip, who Philip kept his appointment, goes back to Africa, plants the first church there in what we know today as the Sudan, and starts a movement on the continent of Africa. Because those who have experienced the work of God want to do the work of God. It drives me nuts sometimes when people say, well, Christianity is a Western European thing. No, it's not. Before any Western European believers, there was a vibrant church on the continent of Africa. Where did that come from? Acts chapter 8. One man leaving the crowd in Samaria and saying yes to the appointment that God had for him. He goes down a desert road, a deserted road. He interacts with this Ethiopian eunuch. This man comes to faith in Christ in one of the most vibrant churches in the world. Believers on the continent of Africa for the last 2,000 years have been worshiping a risen Christ through what happened here. It says he went away rejoicing. <laughs> Let me tell you the fourth thing today. You want to know the secret to life? Live sent. You're bored. The economy's good. You got a job. You're making more money than you ever thought you'd make in your life. You got a house. It's rolling. You go to work at 7. You get home at 5.30. You eat dinner on most nights. Watch three episodes of your favorite show on Netflix. Turn it in and do it all over again. Some nights you're online looking at where you want to spend a week this summer over and over and over and over again and to be honest you're screaming there has got to be more anybody screaming that you know where it's at live sent keep your appointments God is calling you out into ministry. There's somebody at the office. There's someone in the neighborhood. There's a step that he's wanting you to take to join him in what he's doing to reclaim and redeem a life. Step into it. That's where it's at. It's where it's always been. That's why this guy went away rejoicing. He never found anything like this. He was a castrated man who goes back and turns his world upside down and has descendants from his ministry that would be numbered in the millions. Can you produce something like that? No. It's only when you say, God, you want to use me? You want to use me? Send me. Send me. I'll keep the next appointment you have for me. And I don't know what it is. But I know he's got one. And I know it's where life's at. Father, thank you for this amazing story. Father, today in my mind's eye, I see children in the Sudan today worshiping a risen Savior. A continent that has been torn by famine and war and slavery and oppression 
but still with a vibrant body of believers because you used one man who was willing to be sent and keep his appointment with you. God, could we be men and women like that for your glory in our generation? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.